Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Can you believe it? We've hit number 30. Yes, this is our 30th episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs. It's pretty freaking amazing and pretty freaking crazy to think that way back in 2012, when I was writing and producing my one-person show called The Nurse and the Hypochondriacs, written because, yeah, I used to date a whole bunch of hypochondriacs, men with issues who were trying to relate to me through their healthcare problems. Bizarre, right? Well, turned out, I did three performances on stage, which went on to be produced as a storytelling show, which we premiered at the Hollywood Fringe Festival way back in 2015 and went on to do 13 performances to date. And now we're a podcast with 30 episodes. And we've been bringing the most amazing nurse experts, storytellers, comedians, actors, actresses, activists, and filmmakers on board to talk about hot topics in healthcare. It's been an amazing journey so far, and I hope to continue for episodes infinity. I don't know what to say, but it's been a fun journey. And we couldn't have done it without our audience. We couldn't have done it without our sponsors. We're thankful to the Puffin Foundation for giving us a grant in 2018, August of 2018, and also our new sponsors, Nurse Backpack, who have allowed us to continue on this pretty fabulous journey. And of course, I want to say a special thank you to the man behind the podcast who keeps our sound running nice and fresh, and that's Jonathan Colum. Today's podcast is an extra special one. And of course, we're going to be talking about comedy, specifically what happens to your brain on comedy. I mean, does your brain chemistry actually change when you listen to something funny, watch something funny on TV, or go to a comedy show? Well, we're going to explore that today. We're also going to be talking about pain in comedy. Does comedy have the ability to alleviate pain? We'll have to find out. I'm excited to bring on my two guests who also were part of my stage show for Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the storytelling show. First one, Nancy Norton. She's been featured on Annie's An Evening at the Improv and starting her own one-woman show on PBS, The Yellowish Green Girl. She recently was featured on Nickelodeon's Bringing Stress-Relieving Comedy to Parents on Nick Mom Night Out. With a background in healthcare, stand-up, and parenting, Nancy delivers performances and programs that are spontaneous and fresh, teaching the physiology of laughter, which is truly beneficial to any individual or, or organization. Danielle Perez is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actress, best known as the woman in a wheelchair with no feet, who won a treadmill on The Price is Right. She appeared as a guest on Jimmy Kimmel Live for her hilarious reaction to winning that awkward prize. 
Before viral video fame, Danielle rolled on to the Los Angeles comedy scene and quickly established herself as a unique comedic voice with her bubbly stage presence and dark wit. I hope you will enjoy this episode. And before we continue, just a word from our sponsor. Nurse Backpack is a free mobile app designed to help nurses and nursing students manage both their credentials and careers. The app is awesome and very easy to use. You take a photo of your credentials, licenses, immunizations, and other documents, and it's all stored on a secure cloud-based server. The app allows you to set up two different expiration date reminders so you can get a notification on your phone before anything ever expires. Nurse Backpack will even build a resume package for you. If you input your work history and specialties, then the app will package everything together into a professional PDF for you to send to anyone, allowing you to apply to your dream job with one click of a button. With Nurse Backpack, you never have to worry about losing another document, missing a shift due to expired licenses, or keeping track of all the paperwork. The app does it all for you. Click the link in the description at the end of this podcast to download the app for free today. So welcome, Danielle and Nancy. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being on the show. All right. And uh, we were just chatting about the show. Uh, I'm so excited about this episode. It's our 30th episode. And the two of you were both on my storytelling show, which is awesome. Danielle, one of the first ones at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And Nancy, my one that I did in Denver. Out which here was in the Wild West. I know. That one was a fun one at the Bicycle Cafe. Uh, or by, I forgot what it's called. Something yeah, like that. Right. that. I think it was called the Bicycle Cafe. That Bicycle Cafe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a cool one. Denver is such a great comedy city. It is. Definitely. So um, I guess we can open up with Danielle and tell us your story about how you became a comedian because it's very interesting. It all began with you winning a treadmill on The Price is Right. My dad watched that show and I remember, what, you know, that's how I found you because I found you on Facebook because several comedians were pimp in your YouTube video. And I was like, I have to have her on the show. And I found you and you lived in Highland Park right next to Eagle Rock where I grew up here in Los Angeles. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I got you. Um, Yeah, no, I started comedy like I was 30 years old living in Los Angeles, just not really knowing super what to do. My best friend was doing theater, Madison Shepard. She was doing like RE theater in Los Angeles, which why you would try to do that, I don't know, but that's what she was doing. (laughs) And her roommate was a stand-up. And so we went to his shows. By the third one, I was like, I can do this. Like, he was like an unfunny white guy. I was just like, (laughs) so many of them. At like 30 years old to be like, "Mm, I can do comedy, like as a woman in Los Angeles. (laughs) Just having no idea like what that meant (laughs) but I started doing it and I completely fell in love with it I went to my first open mic in like August 2014 and I like just never stopped and I love it so much and then less than six months later I went to a taping of the price is right with one of my comedy friends got called down to contestants row and won a treadmill and a walk-in sauna and the internet freaked out (laughs) 
And then Jimmy Kimmel asked me to come on his episode. Wow. uh, It was really, really fun. Yeah. Why did the internet freak out? I mean, a lot of people, for the people that don't know you on (laughs) the show. Uh, The internet freaked out because I am a bilateral blue with an amputee. I have no feet and I use a wheelchair and I won a treadmill. (laughs) That is so awesome. (laughs) So, not that you're a bilateral cool. amputee, but the part about the treadmill. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome too. Actually, I am, maybe that, that's know? also, there's a silver lining I know about being a double amputee, I bet. What? I bet there is she a said silver there's a lining. Silver lining. <laughs> there's yeah, a I silver said, lining to everything that happens to us, right? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm an amputee. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's cool just on its own. Like, I'm fine. That's okay. You know, just being disabled is all right. So, um... Yeah, so that's been it's been good times ever since. Doing wow, do you not ambulate? You do a wheelchair all the time, or I'm just curious. Sure, yeah, no, I use wheelchair all the time because of the nature of the accident. I lost my legs when I was 20. I was hit by a Muni streetcar, so it's like a oh. light rail train car goes above ground, below ground. So because of the nature of the accident, they had to preserve my um, below the knee. Um, residual limbs with um with skin grafts and my tibia and fibia are just like very exposed and I tried to use prosthetics but I kept getting staph infections and so I was like hospitalized by the second one it was just like mm, we're gonna take a time out on the prosthetics so I've just been using an, a manual wheelchair and it works I mean you know I get around yeah it's okay I yeah. would like to try prosthetics you know, at some point, but I'm not in a hurry right now. I think like there's like a, there's like a, a thing where we're, I think in America, especially like taught to believe that if you try really hard and work really hard, things will happen. And with the prosthetics, it was like, you know, I'm showing up, I'm in this prosthetist's office for like hours on end while they like keep adjusting and it's yeah, like, it's, it's getting better. It's procedure. It's, it's tedious and it's just like I keep trying and it's like I'll leave I'll be able to stand for maybe a few seconds a few minutes I'll leave and like a day later it's like I'm in pain and I can't wear these very long and it's like I'm not I'm walk I'm walking okay but I'm like constantly searching for where I can sit where the exits are where a chair is like I wasn't really able to fully use my prosthetics so it's like with a wheelchair, it's like, well, I can get around and be independent and I'm not always searching. Have a reliable pain-free mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, like that was pretty like emotionally draining to kind of yeah. just like, be going through that. It's going to work this time. It's going to work. We're going to try this kind. We're going to try that yeah. kind. Yeah. Like, I've, I've worked with Yeah. I've worked yeah. with a lot of patients with them and it, it's, it's tedious it's a lot yeah um and stuff so did you ever go on the cruise no (laughs) i know you want a cruise so when i was on jimmy kimmel he like did an interview with me and he asked me about the prices right and then he had me play like a prices right style game and me guess like the price of peanut butter and i guessed wrong he was like it doesn't matter you win and then like the doors opened up in the back of the studio and it was like a wheelchair accessible cruise wheelchair accessible accommodation wheelchair accessible pool and sauna like it was really sweet and it was very kind 
but I got very busy. But also, I don't like cruises. Yeah, I don't like cruises either. <laughs> I'm not so good on water. Family. Yeah, yeah. I've I've entertained on a lot of cruises, and I just can't wait to get to land. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Cruises are a wild gig. Some people love it. Some people make hella money. But yeah, yeah, you can make a lot of money. But yeah. but you're gone all the time. My friends yeah. that do that clock the time they're in the air, they clock the time they're on the water and not a lot of home life there. No. Yeah. Some people like um do you know Brad with a G I, I know Brad. No, I'm just no, kidding. I, I have no idea what Brad is talking about. It sounds really awful. I'm like trying to remember what it is. He does a lot of gay cruises in Europe around like Greece and stuff. But that's where he makes most of his money. But I think he just has like he has like friends like in different cities in Europe. So we'll kind of see them when he docks. Hmm. And oh, wow. unless he's like yeah. in LA for like a prolonged period of time, maybe like during the off season. Yeah, I'm a single stay away from home mom, but I'm not that stay away. <laughs> so so tell your son. He's 14. Oh, so you yeah. got to be home. Yeah. 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 So let's go to you, Nancy. Like, how did you get into comedy? You were a nurse. Yes. You know, dying people. <laughs> you know how they do. Um, I was a hospice nurse and I was witnessing. Oh, I didn't know you were doing hospice. Well, you know, I didn't work for hospice per se, but I was doing home care in Hawaii and a lot of my patients were end stage HIV. It was the kind of the, cri the peak of the HIV crisis oh, wow. in the mid, uh, mid eighties. And that's how old I am, kids. Um, I was, <laughs> I was doing home care <coughs> And but uh, people, all different kinds of people, but a lot of end stage. And I was there for, you know, the, the death of, of many pe people. Uh, I did, like I said, I'm not a great nurse. Anyway, <laughs> I could not save them. Um, <clears throat> so here's the thing I was witnessing the dying process, you know, the whole Kubler Ross thing. And I, most people that got to acceptance faster and were at peace at their death told me in no uncertain terms that they had lived their dreams. They were at peace. And so I, I got this goal uh -huh. to die. This is my big life goal is to die with peace. And so I went home that day. I got that revelation and I said, what do I wish I had done? Because nursing was not my first calling. I was an art major. And as a kid, I always wanted to do stand up. I was the class clown and my parents would let me watch The Tonight Show and watch The Comedian because I loved it so much. Anyway, that's it. I, I got the call and um, that same day I turned on the television and there was a commercial that said, do you think you're funny? Do you want to enter a contest at the Honolulu Comedy Club? Wow. And the hair stood up on my neck and I was like, yes. Wow. I yes, I will, God. I just like filled out the thing and I'm not even very religious or spiritual, but God spoke to me, I'll tell you. And I, I filled out a three by five card entered a contest and it was the most bizarre. I had never been in a comedy club. My knees were shaking. I was afraid of heights. It was at the top of the Ilikai Hotel, which was 35 stories in a glass elevator above the ocean. Three biggest fears I had, heights, drowning, and uh, fear of speaking. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought I was gonna die. I'm like, I am gonna die. And I got on stage and I told my two minutes of jokes and for whatever reason, it was sort of magical and they hired me to be the house MC. Wow. Incredible. That is an incredible story. I mean, going back to the growing up and, and watching 
the Tonight Show and everything like that. I remember as a kid, I would make it. Eddie Murphy was huge when I was a kid. Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, and I would make my mom uh, take out from the library Eddie Murphy's records. And I would sit in the closet with my brother and we would play them in the closet. We had a big closet um, in my room. And so we would sit in the closet. It was like our little clubhouse and play these records because, you know, he was all fuck, 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 you know, and there was a lot of profanity. And (laughs) and we just thought my mother didn't know what was on these records. So we'd sit in the closet, me and my brother, and just listen and just crack up, which my mom loved. My mom was like, do you as many as those records I could get for you guys because you just shut up and sit and listen (laughs) to them. And she never saw us, but she knew she could find us in the closet. Oh, that's great. Just listening to Eddie Murphy, you know. I love those days when we would just listen to albums in, in general, yeah. music or comedy, but it was, it was a different time now, isn't it? I, I used to love that, just sitting around, like you kind of would stare at the speaker, you know? <laughs> you yeah. would stare at the speaker and laugh and picture these. Yeah. And uh, we, my friend's parents had these old Mel Brooks and uh, Rob, uh, Carl Reiner, like really old, like 50s, 60s. Uh, but they were great. They were great mentors. They were great writers, yeah. the 2000 year old man bit. And then we listened to Cheech and Chong and Charlie, I mean, uh, George Carlin. Yeah, Cheech and Chong was a big one. Did you have anyone like that uh, or any experiences like that, Danielle, when you were I, growing up? Premium Blend. That was, that was me. Um, on Comedy Central? Premium Blend. I don't so know. Watch Premium Blend. So Comedy Central, man. Comedy Central is the worst now. I mean, I'll do it if they want me. <laughs> the Comedy Central used to actually, you know, showcase stand-ups. <laughs> that was the thing they used to do. Um, and I loved watching Premium Blend because that was their, like, show, stand-up showcase show. Yeah, it was a good Wanda one. Sykes hosted it for a while. Oh, but you yeah. go back, if you go online on, like, Comedy Central's, like, website you can find old premium blends of like you can find Bonnie McFarlane you can see like BJ Novak just a child in a suit that's too big for him you can see yeah. like, um like how magical and stuff like that just like it's so like Retta you can find on there you can find like Aziz and Zari, though. I don't know why you would want to anymore. <laughs> you can find so many people on... Like, I remember, like, I like Kathleen Madigan a lot. And I loved, like, Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho. Yes, Margaret Cho. Silverman. I really enjoyed Sarah Silverman. She's not, like, my style isn't necessarily, like, influenced by Sarah Silverman. But I remember... Or being like one of the first like visible women that I enjoyed. Um, but Margaret Cho, Janine Garofalo, Kathy Griffin, and Natasha. Janine Garofalo, yeah. Those were like and Kathy um, Griffin, definitely. Margaret Cho's like uh all American girl. I loved watching that show with um oh my god, you're gonna uh oh my gosh. The one that used to date Madonna. She's done everything. Oh, <laughs> oh um, Sandra Bernhardt. Yes. And she's lived a yes. million fucking lives. But it's yes. like, yeah, Sandra Bernhardt was on her show. Oh, wow. <laughs> so great. Yeah, all yeah. American girls. And inc- I really love that show. I got an opportunity to meet Margaret Cho once I started my um, storytelling show, my one person show. Um, I met a friend 
and he took me to this cabaret show in Los Angeles. Uh, I oh, on cabaret? On cabaret, right. And Margaret Cho happened to be performing. And it was a very small venue. It was very intimate. Uh, and she took off all her clothes. So, yeah, she was showing us her tattoos. Her, her body is, like, fully tattooed now and yeah. stuff. So it was interesting. But she's very nice. So we chatted yeah. her up at the bar and stuff. So very cool. She's incredible. Things you yeah. can do in Los Angeles. I love it. Yeah, Just no, on the like, fly. that's like the thing that's been pretty amazing doing comedy in LA is that like I've gotten to meet and see Margaret Cho perform like multiple times. Like Sarah Silverman, I've done a few shows with her, and it's like, oh my god, like this is real life. <laughs> yeah, I had a kid. It was she was so funny. I swear to God, she must have been Sarah Silver. I, I mean, she was Sarah Silverman at five. <laughs> comes into my office one day and um, is very excited to be there. Kids are not excited to come to the pediatrician's office, but she was excited. She loved the blood pressure cuff. You know, she was like, this is the coolest thing because she walked Doc McStuffins. She was so happy to be there. And she sits down and I go, what, why are you here? And she's here with grandma and her mom. And her grandma is like Spanish speaking grandma, doesn't speak any English. It's like little abuelita. And um, I go, why are you here? And she's so excited. She's like, I'm so excited to be here. She goes, she goes, I usually have diarrhea from my mouth, but today it's coming from the other side. Oh, that's like, so she, she was like <laughs> waiting for the laugh. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's really and awesome. the look on her mother's face and the grandmother's <laughs> was priceless. Uh-huh. Like their jaws just dropped. Like, I can't believe you said that. And I go, funny, do you know Sarah Silverman? (laughs) (laughs) Start off. Yeah, she's diarrhea comedy. She always talks about diarrhea. So, um, yeah, it was really funny. And and pee. And pee. Did you read her book? Um, The Bedwetter. Her book is great. Yeah. It's called The Bedwetter. Oh my gosh, I'll have to get that. Yeah, it's really, and it does. I learned, you know, it was very insightful about her and how her dad rewarded her saying, irreverent things and, and socially awkward things. Like that was her dad's favorite kind of joke, you know, for a three-year-old to talk about tampons or something. So <laughs> that's kind of, you could see this, how the seed got planted early to say exactly what you, you shouldn't say. Oh, yeah, what, that was her whole shtick. My parents, yeah, I have very dark sense of humor, my father and stuff. So I think that's where my dark sense of humor comedy comes from and stuff. So cool. So how did you ever use comedy, Nancy, when you were dealing with your HIV patients? Well, specifically my HIV patients, I don't recall. I honestly feel like I wasn't very funny as a nurse and still not when I have, I just took care of a friend who was dying um, in November. And I noticed I was just so, I get, I get kind of reverent and serious too much so uh, I use nursing more for the other I mean a comedy more for the other nurses to deal with stress on the on the floor I was a lot of fun on the ward you know like if we had a, we had a scare one time of one of the patient's husbands was domestic violence situation he was going to come kill all of us and it was Missouri where you know you knew everybody in Missouri has at least three guns oh man and so we were nervous you know we're all running around the security guards are sort of trying to watch all the doors it was a different time before all the surveillance and 
the parking lots and everything. And it, we were nervous, you know, so we were just dealing, I was just dealing with it in like a James Bond kind of way and taping isopropyl alcohol syringes to my arm. <laughs> like Spider-Man, like, I've got you guys. I got your back. You know, and I was around with a, you know, swinging a leg bag. Um, <laughs> just, you know, that, but with the patients, I, I sometimes get paralyzed and shut down because I, if they lead with humor, I'm there. But if they, yeah, I hear you. I don't try to impose my humor on them and like, I'm going to make you laugh. You know, I, I, I resent that when people want to shift my energy out of my will. Although I'm open to it. I hear you. I do that too. Any opening, I definitely would jump on with them. Does that make sense? I hear you. I do the same thing too. Like with this little girl, my, my whole situation is like, I was like, Oh, cool. She's funny. You know? And I just improv and go from whatever their um, mood is or whatever they're opening up with, with humor and stuff like that. Um, and, and I, and I think that's a talent to do and stuff. So, but Danielle, so after your tragic accident, I mean, I know your story, uh, and you were in the hospital and I remember part of your story is your mom was like, Danielle, you have no feet yeah. you know, and you said, and people are like, uh, you know, it's kind of that kicker. Um, but your mom, her mom is like, your mom is awesome. She's a great kicker. storyteller. Huh? That cannot go unacknowledged. All right. Meanwhile, I know, I know I use that, that uh, no pun intended. But it it, it was it was kind of an aha moment where everybody was like, "Well, did you ever like try to go to humor uh, when you were in the hospital when you were dealing with all that?" Because that is a huge tragic loss. Um, Yeah, no, I guess I guess the thing is, not that I don't know when I'm being funny, but it's like I think there's a difference between me using humor before I started comedy and now that I do comedy where before I was just like oh that's just how I process and deal with things and now I kind of observe not that I'm not funny in real life but I'll like observe more and write and take that to the stage if that makes sense you know what I mean like for me it was just like oh I'm just in the hospital and it's like well, we're here, I'm 20 years old, I don't have feet, this kind of sucks, but my friends are visiting me, so why not, you know, make the most of it? Like, that's all you can do. So it wasn't like, I need to be funny to get through this. It was more just like, that's, I guess, just like my default personality. Um, And it's like, I'm in a bed. It's not like I can, you know, leave, like, (laughs) just hanging out all day. And... um, I remember when they they came to talk to me about prosthetics, like after the last surgery, I just was like, hang on, hang on. I was like, two questions. Can I walk and can I be taller? Or can I wear high heels and can I be taller? <laughs> and I was like, I guess we don't have anything else to talk about. Everyone was just like, oh my God, she's going to be fine. It's like, well, I still use a wheelchair 10 years later. So I think that's not, <laughs> I don't know if that was all of it, but... <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I just like, I, I don't know if it was something that I specifically, like I sought out humor or made a conscious decision to be funny. I think just, I'm generally, this is reality now. Let's keep it moving. You know, that's, that's all it is. I hear you. 
And like comedy happened for me in such a random way. You know what I mean? Where it was like, I was going to shows and I was seeing this unfunny person and not really thinking that like comedy as a career, but I was just like, oh, I can do that. And then I started mm-hmm. doing it. I was like, oh, I love this. And it's like, oh, this can be my thing. Like I can actually work really hard and like create a career out of this. And I love how you put different things into your show. How like you, you had that joke how people will come up to you and just be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or they'll be like, oh, where, are you a vet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when people ask if I'm a vet, it's always really funny because it's like, mm, I don't know what you think about any of this. Like, makes you think I'm good at taking orders. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Is it my jaw manicure? Is it my blowout that makes you think manual labor? She can do it. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's like yeah, like people are just. I mean, I talk a lot about like how people are ridiculous, but I, I have also a lot of stuff that's just like about like me and my like I talk about my abortion, and like I talk about like my mom and my nana. You know what I mean? So it's not just like wheelchair stuff, but and dating too, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, it's yeah. I mean, it's like clearly I've been in a wheelchair um, and disabled for like pretty much all of my adult life. So it's like that's my perspective. But it's also like before any of this, it's like I was Latina. I grew up in Los Angeles. That's a whole nother thing, you know. <laughs> Afro-Latina in Los Angeles. We don't have many of those out here. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So Nancy, going back to you, so you made comedy your career then. Yes. And you go around speaking on humor. Yes. How's that for a good podcast interview? That's a good, yes. And that is is all I will say. Do you eat at McDonald's? No. (laughs) Do you eat fruits and vegetables? Yes. Which ones? (laughs) Um, I have a question. What is it to speak on humor? Are you like breaking down like comedy for people? Are you like speaking like from an academic place or? I would call it pseudo academia at best. I um, basically, I started researching the neural pathways to work on my memory. And I stumbled on these articles about the neural pathways of humor and it changed my life personally, like I has enhanced my life to know that humor is a basic human need. I didn't even know that humor is a basic human need. It's not just for fun anymore, kids. But what about all the people that are so unfunny? Well, they're not going to live as long. They're not going to live as long. No, they're dying. They're dying. All of them. Um, <laughs> we should get them into That's hospice. Like, get so, them into hospice immediately. So um, I like that when the going back to what Danielle said, those people sitting in the front row like this. Yeah, you know, or fall asleep like your best friend. Narcolepsy. <laughs> my my best friend fell asleep at my show front row. But your friend was narcoleptic or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no longer my best. We friend. We cannot, first of all, take any of that personally. We do not what, know what's going on in people's lives. <laughs> I fell it's very true in the front row at my friend's show, but I was drunk, so that. <laughs> <laughs> she was medicated <laughs> but uh it is funny you know when i started doing comedy i used to only see the people that weren't laughing and i think what you and i were talking about before we started was reprogramming your mind a little bit now mm-hmm. i just started seeing the people that were connecting and then that actually ironically of course makes more people connect so 
I don't know, I don't see as many people, uh, not to brag, but I don't see as many people sure. sleeping and crossing their arms as I used know. to. And it might just be a filter. But honestly, um, what I do is I don't teach people how, like about, I, I, can, I can talk a little bit about what makes a joke funny. One of my friends, Professor McGraw over here at CU, wrote a book called The Humor Code. He went around the world and researched like, what is it? We still really don't know. His, his theory is benign violation theory, but there's so many theories about what, what makes something benign funny. Benign violation theory. Benign violation. Yeah. So to do a joke where it violates the social North. appropriateness, but not so far that it makes people boo. <laughs> you know? And Sarah Silverman so, has a different threshold than I do. And if you, once you know Sarah Silverman, you can hear her humor through that filter Whereas if I did her jokes, I think I wouldn't be able to sell them, you know, because I'm a woman. You got to be a five-year-old, or if, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know that that no, she usually has diarrhea from her mouth, but it's coming out of the other side. Today. <laughs> oh. My son wrote a joke for me, a diarrhea joke that I use on stage. I gave him fifty bucks for this joke. Okay. Um, here's the joke. What That's do you awesome. see? What do you see when aliens have diarrhea? What mysterious crap circles. <laughs> 50 oh, bucks, man. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. He wrote that when he was seven. So yeah, right up there in that realm. It just, but what, I don't know what my point was other than. Don't well, we were really talking talk about, about, about the benign, you, the benign violation norms and your friend that wrote the book. Yeah. But I, when I talk about funny. humor, I just basically, I try to teach people not to think too much. I'm really good at that. I have that thin prefrontal yeah. cortex and I talk a little about why we need humor and how it helps our health and creative problem solving and a lot of other things. Cool. And that's like that study that I was talking to you about that was done at USC with the groundlings uh, with all these researchers. Let me find it right now. USC School of Comedy. I'm still blown away that they have a school of comedy. I was like, they have a school of comedy at USC. Oh yeah. I was in their comedy festival this past year. Wow. (laughs) Like um, for 50 grand a year, I'll tell you to go to open mics. Yeah. (laughs) I'll teach you comedy. Come to my house, my garage. (laughs) <laughs> my girl <laughs> so yeah here's the study so this was a it was the neuroscience people that did this study how being funny changes your brain and nancy and i were talking about this a little bit before you joined us danielle Ooh. and basically they found through imaging studies uh, they study professional improvisation comedi- comedians many from los angeles groundlings comedy troupe and amateur comics. So those are the two groups that they studied. Um, the aim to get a better understanding of the neural correlates of humor creativity. That is, see how the brain's physiology changes when a person tries to be funny. Wow. And so they found that the people who use more free association, which were the more experienced comics, um, it had it says the two regions of the brain were activated when participants came up with jokes the medial prefrontal cortex and the temporal associations region. However, the regions activated were different depending on the person's level of expertise. So the less experted people, the less experienced ones, uh, their brains, they used more of their thinking, their logical side. The logical side yeah. yeah. To try to come up with jokes as well as the experienced comics use more free association and stuff. So, I thought that was interesting. interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. But that makes sense. I mean, like with, you know, once you gain skill, 
that's what I was telling Nancy. Yeah. yeah. You become, you're more confident, like you're learning a technique. Right. And that technique allows you to just access things without trying to like beat it out. And yeah. work at it. Again, yeah. That's sort of like what I try to just teach, trusting yourself and, mm-hmm. re- and just be more relaxed and trusting that you, that your subconscious is brilliant. It always is. And let yeah. it work. Don't, it, it's infinitely more intelligent than the conscious mind. So I wonder what it would be like for stand-up comedians because stand-up comedians, it's like even ones that where it seems like it's very, you know, improv based, like Kate Berlant say, it's like, that's all beat it out. You know what I mean? That's all a set that she's ran. And like, those are choices that she's made. So it, even though it feels really fresh and off the cuff. That's yeah. kind of my style is uh, pseudo improv style. Although I do actual improv in the middle of my pseudo improv. So it's kind of complicated, but I, I definitely recognize that being in the moment. And even though I have some of these chunks that I've done for 25 years that I still, but there is still that liveliness of interaction or, mm-hmm. you know, real improv moments, but I have enough, I have enough foundation that I can go out and play and come back. Yeah, to my set. Come back. But yeah. I does, I think when people see my act, they think it is a lot of off the top of my head when it's actually, you know, of course, some of these bits mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, I'm trying to do more crowd work. It's very hard to do crowd work in LA just because there's stage time is a lot more limited. You know, your work like open mics are three minute chunks. Stage time is seven to 10 minutes. Anything more than 10 minutes is like a very big deal. And you're usually in front of crowds that are to some degree other comics yeah that's yeah. rough man yeah. i don't no, know how you do just it just a crowd that wants to be entertained yeah i'm totally yeah. spoiled but, i have like you know i my home club is comedy works in denver and i've been I love there. comedy works have club. you been there yeah i was um i went to denver the first comedy festival i ever did was crom comedy festival three years ago so like 2015 um oh no 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 2016 well, you'll have um, to let me know if you come back and uh yeah uh, oh. that was a really fun festival but i got to do like i got to do fine gentlemen's club yeah that's like, a good Sam room Talent and uh sharpie and all of them are running yeah now they're now sharpie's out there yeah sharpie's so great and yeah. uh, i just saw sam talent because he was in sam's orleans for uh the half hours because bory taped one Oh, yeah. some of my other friends went down there to watch. watch yeah, there was like a, there was a, a little Denver crew, but. Uh, Came to support. Yeah, did, was, yeah, but I did, I did comedy works and it was not good. Deacon was unhappy with me. <laughs> oh, he's, he's actually, he's actually uh, passed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the one I was taking care of in November. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I thought you could take care of him. But, you know, he, he had a very specific, you know, what he liked and. Yeah. Why, why was he not happy with you? Did he? Well, I mean, I ran the light. I just, I was oh, so yeah. new you lose, you lose and big, I didn't. Oh, that's a big taboo. Yeah. It was everyone. Cause I was asking everyone, how long should I prepare? And they're like, you're going to get two minutes. He gave me an A set. It was not two oh, minutes. Oh, great. But I kept practicing a two minute set. And now I was like, oh shoot, I have to do five, which is great. But I just didn't know where the light was coming from. I didn't, I didn't know Aww. any of those things. Like I was, I've only been doing comedy for like four and a half years. So, and in LA, you don't get up at like the club system. Isn't like, 
like Denver where you get brought up, you go to the open mic, then you get brought up as an MC and yeah. then like featuring and stuff like the improv and the comedy store are all showcase based. Okay. So yeah. you're not like I wasn't, I came up doing all rooms. So, um, got it. I just got, and it's, it's like, I'd never really been on like a proper club stage where it was like, I couldn't see the audience. It was uh, black. Very disorienting. It was yeah. really disorienting. I started off, I was like, is this even a joke? I was like getting laughs on stuff that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it was just, is so hot, it'll throw you off. It really, I just they'll wasn't. They'll write their own, own punchline if you, if you give them time. You know, if you yeah. just say that premise and they're like, oh, we know where you're they going. They loved it. I mean, it was incredible, but it was like, it just like, I was very disoriented. Oh, and like, we'll just stick with that part of it and let go of the deacon <laughs> part because uh, he has... He's looking down on you, smiling, saying it's okay. <laughs> you know, isn't that weird though? When somebody has like either criticized you or is a voice in your head and then that person dies and it's like, what? You know, I, that person occupied a lot of space in my mind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, we're sensitive to criticism. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I found this other... And let me know when you come. I will come back to Denver. Yeah. Denver's a great place. I like Denver. I found this other uh, interesting article on sense of humor and patience with depression, which is, it, it was weird to me because I feel like a lot of comedians have depression, yeah. um, especially here in Los Angeles, you know, Uh and I've seen a lot of them on stage where I'm like, uh, I don't think you're so funny, you know, or they kind of throw out, they try storytelling and they try to throw out their garbage onto you with their um, energy. And you're like, oh, I feel bad. And someone's like, you, you see a psychologist in the audience. And they're like, don't feel bad for that person. He's that trying person to get you. <laughs> monster. Yeah, that person's a real monster. And yeah, <clears throat> you can find that. But I thought that was an interesting one. And then they're doing other sense of humor and schizophrenic patients, which again, another one. I mean, I feel people try to do comedy because it is therapeutic for them. I've found research and studies on there. But um, I, I mean, what do you feel, Danielle, with, because you, you know who I'm talking about and certain comedians and stuff oh, like that. for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, well, I remember I took um, a storytelling class, like, after I was doing my first year of comedy, I took a storytelling class with Margot Lightman, and yeah. she said, never tell anything on stage that you aren't, um, that you haven't worked through. It's like, true. don't put that on the audience. You're there to entertain. You're there to be an entertainer. It's Did not there. Margot Lightman. Oh, I don't know. And I think to a she's degree, a, she's a storyteller. She um, has a great book that I use in my classes. Yeah. yeah. She's really great. Um, well, and I, I disagree I, with her on that, but go, go ahead. Sure. No, I believe, look, I get, I think that there are certain rooms for certain things. And I think that, you know, I would go, like, if I went up to San Francisco, or if I went to Denver, or like Philadelphia, I went to a city, I knew that there was like an open mic that I could come to LA, we could get seven minutes and I could just purge. I could just talk and like work things out and get things out. And it's not always funny, but it's like, it was, it felt like a safe enough space for me that I could just kind of get it out to kind of feel what was going on in there and dislodge. And I think that's very different than doing that at a show that people paid money to see. I agree. 
I think I'm going to disagree. So here's when I headline comedy works and I'm doing my show for 45 minutes, I feel like I will take a chunk, like two minutes, three minutes in the middle. Like this happened. I just want to share this with you because I, I get totally get that we're there to entertain, but we're, but what I feel like the job of the comedian, the role of the comedian in society is to speak the, the unspoken truth, a show that I would want to see, that I would want to be entertained by is fresh with something that hasn't been fleshed out. I don't like really polished. Oh, you know, I can feel the deadness in the polish. I love raw, evolutionary, revolutionary humor. So say right after we confirmed Brett Kavanaugh, I went on stage and I was furious furious. Mm-hmm. I was triggered. I was mad. I couldn't believe that this country let this happen. And I am telling you guys that I alienated a big chunk of that audience and I don't care. <laughs> like I'm like, we have to talk about this right now. And I went off and I, what happened? I usually don't get Yelp reviews because I, I feel like I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually Nancy. Let's have fun. Oh, no. You know, I'm, you know, first of all, I'm old. My name is Nancy. I'm old. I'm, you know, they're, they're not making any Nancy's anymore, but it's I am Pelosi. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. I am that old. I'm not, her, not as old as she is, but I'm just saying I'm a late model Nancy and I'm old. But the point is I want to see, who are you entertaining? Do you want to entertain people that are like from the suburbs who are like mm, that, you know, that was a well-constructed bit of humor that I accessed easily. Or do you want to entertain people who are living in this world and these women who are all triggered that watched professor Ford speak her truth and then watch the Republicans confirm this asshole one after another. Now I need to talk about that. That's who I am. I'm like, I'm not, I didn't work it up. I just went up there and I talked about, we now have a, you know, Supreme Court justice named Brett. (laughs) Brett. And this man stood up and yelled at me and left the room, flipping me off with both hands (laughs) and saying, so every man is guilty. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying, sir. I have a 14 year old. That's on you. Anyway, I'm passionate, obviously. I, I love doing passionate comedy. I would never want to just do, like never do I ever do a show that there's not a little piece of, un, like I almost always have a minute or two of like something I, I write on stage. That's how I work. So. For sure. But I've been doing it 30 years. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a different place. Speaks to like, yeah. yeah, the level of where you are, like doing it 30 years versus like four and a half yeah. where it's like, I'm still trying to like get my late night set. You know what I mean? I'm still trying- I don't have a late night set. I want a late night set too. <laughs> but I think part of it too is like coming up in LA, like it's a showcase city. Like I, you don't get, I can't, I can't go on shows and not do well because then I won't get booked. And gotcha. station, like, so yeah, I get, I'm hearing you that the percentage of the time like yeah. I have a 45 minute set. I'm, it's okay for me to dedicate two to three minutes of for life. sure. And, and I bury it in the middle so that I'm yeah. going to, they will, we will get back to the song and dance. Ding, yeah. ding, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. for me, it's like, I'm doing seven to 10, maybe like 12 and 15. Totally. Like I have to get outside of Los Angeles to do half an hours and 20 minutes. And when I'm doing that, I'm working out how to do half an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, sure. And then you're going to... So that's what I'm saying is like... You do a half an hour. That's how I, I think do business. that, you know, I... I... 
I get, you know, yeah, you want to feel it. You want to like say it on stage. I, for me, I feel like I just have places that I like to work that stuff out. And depending, you know, I mean, maybe it's like a show where it's like, I know everyone, there's not really a lot of people there. We are like getting into it. I can like speak on it, but I just, there are um, storytellers and comics that exist that I see in LA that only use it as therapy and that's yeah. like very exhausting right right yeah i got you or it's like it's, it's exhausting you know, yeah, it, because you're putting your shit on a room full of people who are literally trying to work like who are trying to make this their career and there is an energy to that i mean i've studied it i try to teach that to my students when I teach storytelling and stuff like that. It's the energy that you're throwing out there to the people. I mean, you don't want to send them like feeling warm and fuzzy and like happy, happy if that's not what it is, but you don't want to leave them feeling like, you know, just like, like you just vomited all over them, you know? And and a lot of these people, they make you feel like that. I I know personally, I used to go to the moth a lot and the moth is a, (coughs) excuse me here. Um, a competitive storytelling show here in Los Angeles. And I would go and I would literally walk out when someone would be on stage talking about cancer and it wasn't even a good story. I mean, there was no comedy in it whatsoever. It was sad. Like, Oh, boohoo, look what happened to me. And I kind of survived or I'm still going through chemo there. And it was just like a support group. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong, (laughs) wrong with that, but it's just like, you know what? This is a room of people. That's great. If you're going to a support group or there's other people going through the same thing as you do and you're trying to connect with them. But yeah. then it's like, do you really want people to feel sorry for you when you're on stage? And I, and I think that Danielle, you have an art. I mean, I think you've turned it into an art where you make what happened to you very funny and you just are such an inspiration to so many people, you know, you don't just go, you know, out there. Well, I mean, I try not to, but it's also, it's still like, I'll, you know, there's, I mean, I for sure have vomit sets on my phone. They're there. <laughs> Liquid zoo. <laughs> Deep in the valley. So yeah. Ugh. One drink minimum. Um, but it's, I remember one time outside of Liquid Zoo, like, it's, it's like in this, like, awful part of the valley. But all of a sudden, I heard, like, a police cop, like, chopper in the air, and, like, the lights were going off, and it was like, all prostitutes in the area, please. Oh and you just saw them like scatter like roaches. And I was like, this is where I choose to spend every Sunday that I don't have a spot. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've been to those places. And then I, and I was like, happy to be shut down. What I say. Yeah. I have to say. A stage is a stage is a stage is a stage. I don't you know. know. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm curious how this works. My niece is coming up and she went to UCB. She's an improv artist, but now she's doing stand up the last three years in LA. And maybe you'll see her around. Bailey Norton. What's her name? Oh, Bailey yeah. Norton? Bailey. Oh, Bailey. Oh, that's my niece. We just um, did a show recently called The Norton. Yeah, Wiles. Uh, she uh bailey is i know bailey i've met her she's a sweetheart yeah she's yeah. a sweetheart but i feel for her because i know she's having to perform where you're talking about where it's not a real audience it's these other mm-hmm. comics and the last time i worked with her you know her closer i asked her please my brother's coming to the show tomorrow her dad I'm like 
do not do that closer in front of your, your dad, my brother. It's just, <laughs> the closer. I mean, it's such a shocking, but it was, I know why she's doing it because she's performing in front of other comedians and that's what it takes to get them to laugh is like to say something so outrageous that nobody would say, you know, and I just like, wow, it's, you know, I'm not saying it's not funny, but it's like, wow. Well, I don't, I, I'm no prude. Okay. <laughs> I talk a lot about stuff. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Stuff. But I was like, I really, I didn't mean to say to her, but I was like, hey man, tomorrow we're doing a PG-13 show. (laughs) Why? Is that because your your brother's going to come to you and go, it's all your fault. You got her into this. You think that's why? Because I I care about his psyche. I don't (laughs) want him having to live with the imagery. But he'll be okay. My mom and dad are okay. It's graphic. I don't, I don't know what her closer is. I, I was like, I just know that it matters. I'm not going to go into it. I'm just telling you, it's a vivid <laughs> texture that you, nobody wants to picture their daughter doing. Nobody. <laughs> Even your friend. I was like, my niece, I love you, but please, uh-uh. You know. My mom came to like my first, like my first few standards. Your mom is awesome. She's so and I, Oh, thank you. She's sweet. She's really, she's like very supportive. She's like. She like doesn't love like to hear all of it, but she's like pretty supportive. But I think like, I remember like one time I did, (laughs) I did a storytelling show and then I called out my mom. I was like, my mom's here. And like Kyle Kinane was like, is that really your mom? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're fucking crazy. And I was like, I I need to do it. I have to like, if I can't say it in front of my mom, like, and she's the one who's coming to my shows. Like, I'm not saying you have to come to my show, but it's like, that's what it's going to be. Like, then I can't say, then I shouldn't, like, this is who I am. And this is what it is. And this is what I think is funny. So it's me. Like, that's, I just don't, I I, I can't have shit about like my life and my stuff. You know, I love that show that you were on. I think it was John, Jonathan Bradley Welsh, where you and your mom told a story. They were, it was the same story. It was two different sides. It was a Mother's Day show. Yeah. That was cool. I love that idea. I'm trying to work on this concept with Bailey. That would be really great. Touring the Nortons. Well, it's kind of interesting. I'm in my late 50s. She's 24. And it's like, what is dating like? What, what is the different, like, or different perspectives on my brother or different perspectives on my mother? Or, you know, just, and I think the duo act is, uh, it's, to, it's time. And I just think it'd be kind of fun. So we're yeah. looking at that. And I, really I adore great. Bailey. I want, you know, yeah. she has a lot of material that's, and she's a genius. She like, she won the National Forensics League uh, Humorous Interpretation National thing. Like she's a brilliant performer, but I can wow. tell that she's had to write this piece that must shock everybody who ever hears it. I'm like, excited to, to see her closer. Now I'm like, I want to get books on the show with her so I can see. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, Booker. Hey, Booker. She is great. And she's a really good person. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Know. You know, Danielle has several shows going on. Talk about not some anymore. of the shows. Gentrification is done. We're done. Four year anniversary. Oh, gentrification this, is done. Wow. This, um, month, this um, last Friday of February, February 22nd. Oh, I'll have to come to your last show. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have a really good lineup. But I mean, it's like four years in LA is a long time. Congratulations. Thank you. A lot of shows ending, a lot of storytelling shows ending now, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was talking about it with one of my friends. So, that was that the only one you had going? You had another one going on. Um, We, we, Die Gap. 
Um, well, thigh gap is will still be around. I think we'll probably just do the a real long set show every now and then. We don't want to like keep it like as a regular basis, but we usually kind of resurrect that when people need to run their half hours for Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. So we did one for Vanessa Gonzalez, and we did one for Jenny Zagrino when she taped hers. So we'll probably keep you know. The brand is still alive, but that's great. You're a great producer too, with um, you. your Instagramming and Insta. I, I see you as a huge producer with these young females and stuff too. Aww, thank that's you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. But we're. I think it's just time where um, Madison Radford and I are busy in a good way, where we, you know, need to devote time to other things, and it's okay to let it go. Yeah, yeah. there always comes a time. And Nancy, what are you working on? I have a couple of things going on. The one thing that just like I told you before we started that came up as I had a repairman need uh, as I'm aging, I used to, you know, I was a bit butch. I thought I could do all my home repairs. And all of a sudden I'm looking at the YouTube clip going, I need a man to (laughs) fix my garbage disposal. So I want to, I've had this domain name for a while. My sister and I talked about doing it, helping Single moms on a budget do home repairs, uh, podcasts. It's comedy plus home repairs called Cock Talk. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. And, and I'm just, I'm doing lots of fun shows. I think I mentioned uh, Tig and I will be working together up in Aspen on the 22nd. Oh, yeah. And um, she used to open for me back in the day, kids. What? <laughs> That's wild. We, we bonded. Uh, she came to Denver. She lived here and she did a set, her very first paid gig. That's um, incredible. 25 years ago. Well, I'd have to look at the map. <laughs> it was, I think I call it a calendar. But anyway, I'd have to look at the calendar map and see because it was, I think, 20 to 25 years ago. She was opening and, um, and she got fired uh, <laughs> because her style does not lend itself to be the hostess. Like, hey, tip your weight staff, you know, <laughs> um, who's having a birthday? It's just not her thing. And she was the funniest person I'd seen in years. And her, she, has, she had more stage presence then than I'll ever have. Like just that solid TIG. Uh, so true to herself. Anyway, we, we bonded over that. And there's, a, there's actually a YouTube cartoon out there. I'll send you a link to it that yeah. she talks about being fired uh, from this gig. And that bonded us for, for, for life. Yeah, we're friends for a long time now. That's awesome. That's awesome. But- when I first started comedy, I took Madison for like, cause we started in August, her birthday's in October and we went to see Tig at Largo and it was like, she was doing the stool bit and we were both just- Ah, uh, the Conan thing where she sco- like, scooted the stool for- mm-hmm. That's, that, that's, that's what this I'm talking about. Like, Your she- friend who says don't write on stage is insane. Um, I, I, I don't know her, but- She I didn't just, say don't write on stage. She said, don't talk about things that you haven't- process and i know and i like Largo, yeah i listen to the largo set i love it but i think that she's also an introductory okay uh, an introductory storytelling class to baby people who have like who've never done storytelling storytelling or stand up or anything like that right right they're not coming with a skill set okay okay and remember remember the studies i apologize apologize because I don't know her. I'm just saying, looking at Tig, like who, no. who, who obviously, mean, that's, you know, anytime that's you get a skill set. And like, she's yeah. coming with obviously having some ideas, but not 
the whole thing. But and it's, like, oh, but you're seeing yeah. still art there. Like you're seeing craft. Like, yeah, that's and it's just like when you trust yourself so much that it yeah. doesn't matter, and that you, yeah, that's what it is. It's just about trusting yourself and getting. Maybe she should say. Maybe I would like to say. I would like to hear the sentence go like this. You know, like don't you know work things out on stage until you know you can trust yourself. Because once you know you can trust yourself, <laughs> you can you can do things that are not fleshed out and it will be entertaining and everybody wins and it's more authentic. I just love more than humor. I love authenticity. So if, but when it's both, it's dream, you know, dream weaver, but anyway, sorry, I'm obviously very passionate about that. I have a, I think because I have a thin prefrontal cortex and (laughs) I cannot work things out until I'm on stage, you know? Yeah. No, everyone, everyone has, everybody's got their style. Yeah. 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 And you know, I'm, clearly you've never heard of me so it's you know i my arc to my comedy career is like the slowest journey 30 years it took me to win a national festival you know so hey you i still am on it. i'm That's still on, i'm still climbing like the price is right ding do that little yodeling guy that climbs <laughs> was that festival that festival is recent the one in boston right that you won yeah it was last september oh wow yeah. That was so, so great. And uh, tell the story real quick about how you saw winning it. You went to a psychic. No, my friend, my, my, <laughs> my, my friend is a psychic. She's a life coach, but she's a psychic. She basically, I needed somebody to say, give me permission to win. I have a block. Like I used to choke. I was, I was invited to San Francisco comedy competition in the nineties. And there was all this buzz. Like, we think you're going to win it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? And I was <laughs> I was funny, but I was a choker and um, I hadn't entered a contest in, I don't know, 10 years or something since my son, I adopted my son. So at least 15 years ago, but yeah, something about her just saying, you're ready, uh, you know, and you are going to the finals. And I was like, oh, something about that. Just let me do that. And then when I went to the finals. When I went to the finals, I gave myself permission. I'm like, Nancy, you've done the 10,000 hours. Go get the $10,000. There you go. And, uh, and I did actually, I want to say this on behalf of improvisation. I had 10 minutes for that set at the Somerville Theater in Boston. And I chose to prepare eight and leave two minutes for improv. And I did improv during that set. And I really think that's what got, that's, I mean, a lot of it, you know, the experience and all the bits were good but um i knew there was a group of mit people on the front row and i did some jokes like directed at them and oh wow so i cannot emphasize enough how being in the moment is uh, people feel it yeah well that's great well it's been an amazing conversation ladies thank you for being on our 30th episode because this is what it's all about. It's all about storytelling, being funny and comedy. Um, anything you want to, I know you're going to be on Nick crawl. I don't think this episode will be on before your show, Danielle. Um, well then, well, um, come to, it's on, it's on, uh, on eighth, right. On the Friday, right. Friday, February 8th. I'm opening for Nick crawl at Largo, but in Los Angeles, but, uh, you can also come to the four year, anniversary and final show for gentrification at avenue 50 studio in highland park you need to you need to invite those people that were like were petitioning against your show yeah they the can. gentrification people you should invite them 
Yeah, they can, <laughs> they can pick it. There, there were people picketing against the name of her show because it was called gentrification in the area where she has it. They're, they're, it's it's being gentrified. So they were calling her. I, I mean, what were they saying? But they were they were like, you can't name your show this. Yeah, they were like, you're a gentrifier. You're you, what's funny about gentrification? It's like, do you not get this is run by like three brown and black women? <laughs> they're missing it a little Los bit. Angeles, one from the neighborhood, and it's a diversity showcase. You fucking idiots! Like they were just like so hopped up on the name, and I was yeah. like. None of the ones that are run by men, three white straight men that only book other straight white men. You're not harassing them. And they have shows in Highland Park. Give me a fucking break. It's like yeah. at a nonprofit art gallery that like serves the community. Like get out of here. Yeah. It's yeah. a bunch of people that are like, I think I you should it. so typical. I think you should sell peace. Obviously a real problem, but it's like, I'm not the person you need to be mad at. And I exactly, I think you should sell t-shirts with gentrifier on this. <laughs> I love that you use that term. I call you a gentrifier. Right, um, not that crazy. Cool. T-shirts. T-shirt sales. Gentrification. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, thank you. Um, I'll be headlining comedy. Oh, yeah, that's right. In too. May, yeah. I'll go ahead and do my plug. Thank you, Ursilia. I thought you did yours already. You have so many. Go ahead. No, I no, no, go ahead. So. What was I plugging? I had Tegan no Aspen. You were, plug- you were plugging. Oh, I'm not plugging Tegan Aspen. That's Tig's show. I'm sure it's our thing for Nurses Week um, in oh, May. Awesome. So yeah. I thought I'd put it out there. In- Are you going to do yeah, your I'm show sure. again? Are you going to do your nurse show? Nurse Nancy. Nurse Nancy show. Nurse Nancy. Yeah. It's uh, not a porn movie. Um, it is in May. I'm just saying. It comedy works. Awesome. So. Who knows when That's this great. airs, but every May, it's every May, Comedy Works. You can re, you can re <laughs> distribute this annually. Of course. It goes uh, and try to edit out some of this hostility. I'm no worries. Oh, it's <laughs> fine. I'm going to go take some hormones. It is. It's normal. Everything's going to be fine. Everybody, everything's going to be fine. Well, thank you, ladies. Peace and love. Uh, peace and love. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs. We would so appreciate you giving us a five-star rating. And don't forget to download the Nurse Backpack app. It's free. It's easy to use. It's great credential management. It's secure. It's safe. It gives you expiration date reminders, puts together a resume package for you, and you get the ability to send documents and your resume to anyone. Go ahead, download the app today. The link is at the end of the podcast notes. Also follow us at Nurses and Hypochondriacs on Facebook, Nurses and Hypocon on Twitter, and on Instagram, we're under Rogue Nurse Media. Till next time.